You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast from Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, visit our website at rh-church.com. Hey, Pastor Chad here. I'm so glad you've taken the time to listen. We're currently studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. Among other things, we'll see the mission, the persecution, and the expansion of the church. Now, time for this week's message. All right, so Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32, I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. So verse 32 through 43, all right? Acts chapter 9 says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated, was translated to mean Dorcas. Aren't you guys glad that's not a popular name now? Uh, and she was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her up in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. He knelt down and prayed, and turning to the, to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And she gave her, gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he, Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I pray just the next few moments that as we, as we dig into your word, I pray that we are able to learn something today, Lord, something that um, we can take with us. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you... You are here today, that you're filling this room. I pray that you work in our hearts. I pray that you open our eyes. Lord, I, I know that there are, are many here this morning that are tired and ready for a nap. And Lord, I pray that you just help keep us all awake and in tune with you. God, I pray that you meet us where we're at and you take us where we need to be. God, I pray that you give me um, clarity of thought. I pray that everything that I say and do is true to your word. Jesus, I pray that you give me your heart and your passion. It's in your son's beautiful and precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We had an amazing weekend. Um, 
as you, that video just gives you a quick glimpse. And a lot of the pictures were pictures of games, and, and we had lots of fun. But one of the things that encouraged my heart so much this morning was a majority of those testimonies were the youth sharing about small groups. And in the way it was formulated, we had four different like sessions, large group sessions where all the youth would, would come together and we'd have a Bible study. And then after, directly after that study, they would split up into these small groups. The, the boys were all together and we had a middle school girls group and then a middle school or then a high school girls group. And they would go and they would just talk. They would, there were some questions they would work through and, and, and all. And to me, that's, that's exciting. Like sometimes I, I, you expect for them to, to talk about how awesome and amazing it was to stick their head in a bucket of vinegar and gnaw on pickled pig's feet, right? Who wouldn't want to do that? Shoot. Next year, I think the adults should come and do like the adults versus the kids, right? Yeah? I tried it this year. I don't think so. Um, but so, so to me, it's exciting that, that, that while they had fun doing those things, while they had fun playing the games and, and we ate lots of too much good food, what, what many of these youth now are taking back with them was those moments in small group, those spiritual conversations that they had. And to me, that's so amazing. And so what I want us to do, as I said a moment ago, I want us to look at this particular story, these two actual stories, and then we're going to try and morph them into kind of what we talked about youth. And so when we look at this, these stories now, in, in, as we've gone through the book of Acts, uh, about three weeks ago, we were introduced to this character by the name of Saul. And so for like almost two solid chapters, we, we read all Saul. So before that, we read about the, the disciples, and we read about these new deacons, and then Saul arrives, and then there's two chapters of Saul. And if you remember, we ended last week with, with Saul going back to his home, Tarsus. Okay, so he's gone, and, and we don't, we'll, we'll pick him up in about two chapters. But in a timeline, we don't hear from Paul for another seven to ten years. Okay, and so, so now we go back to a very familiar character, by a guy by the name of Peter. And Peter's like the celebrity preacher of the day. Like he's the most well-known, most documented disciple of that time. I mean, he's the bombastic, larger-than-life personality. And we've, we've, we're familiar with so many of these stories. And, and we go back now to Peter. And to me, as we look at these two, two miracles that are performed, I, I, a few things pop out to me. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do. Verse 32, it says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all. I like to encourage people to mark in their Bibles. I, if I were you, I would underline, Peter went here and there. If you... We're to go back to our first message in the book of Acts. We ended with um, Acts 1.8. And Acts 1.8 is, is the Great Commission. Jesus is ascending into heaven. And before he, he leaves, before he, he takes off, he, he leaves the disciples with these, these last words. And in there he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's coming. I'm, I'm departing. I'm leaving. Jesus, I'm, I'm going but, but when I leave, this Holy Spirit's going to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to bring power. I mean, so much power that you guys, once that power is received, you're going to leave Jerusalem. Okay, and then you're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you're going to go, and I want you to tell people. 
share the good news of, of what I've done for them. And so what I think is so cool is, is we, we see Peter now. We haven't seen him for a little while. But as we get back to Peter, we see that he's fulfilling what God had told, what Jesus had told him to do. He said to go. And here in that very first verse that we read, we see that, that Peter went here and there. And in this particular passage, we see him going to two different towns. And he's on the lookout. He's, he's searching. And in fact, I, I love how it, it says there in verse 33, it says, there he found a man. Like he was looking. He's looking. He is looking for people to share the gospel with. And here, while he's, he's there, he finds this man, Aeneas, who had been crippled for eight years. And he goes. And this Aeneas, he's, he's for lack of better words, he's a nobody. He's not famous. He's not a king. He doesn't hold any great title. He's just a, a regular, everyday person who's been paralyzed for eight years. And I, I love how we see this Peter, this, this rock star of a guy, this, this head of the disciples, the one that's leading this charge, and he takes the time. He takes time to go and find this insignificant person and to minister to him. And so he goes and he, he talks with this man and he, he ultimately heals him. Verse 34, we see the motivation and the action of, of Peter. And again, I would underline, when Peter turns to Aeneas, he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, get up, make your bed. How many youth have had your parents tell you that before? Make your bed. Two? That's it? I was going to say, I bet you. We're in church, don't lie. <laughs> Peter goes to him and he says, Aeneas, listen, it's not me that's doing this. Like, I, I can take no credit for this. What's about to occur? It's nothing I do, it's not a power that I possess. It's all Jesus. So in the name of Jesus Christ, get up, make your bed, and get out of here. And he does. Peter is no doubt ministering still in the same community. And word probably traveled fast in those days when, when people like Peter and the disciples were in different areas. And another city about 10 miles away, Joppa, there's this woman named Tabitha or Dorcas, whichever one you choose. And well, we, we snicker and we laugh at Dorcas, but, but the Greek meaning of Dorcas is gazelle. And the imagery, I think, that's being painted there for us is that this woman, Dorcas, was a beautiful woman who was constantly busy. She was working. And she didn't necessarily have the big spot like, like a Peter would have had. But rather her, her works, her good works, her, her acts of charity, they were kind of regular, everyday type, practical 
need filling works. Towards the end of that, when we, when we see those who are mourning up in this upper room with her, they have these tunics and garments, things that she had made. She was a seamstress. And so this, this woman who had, who had devoted herself to good works, to charity, to, to things, um, loving Jesus, to all these things that she had done, these very practical things, but she gets sick and she dies. And so they clean her body and they, they take her up to this upper room, which is an odd thing to do because it was against their normal culture. A Jewish tradition would, would, would tell them that they had three days before they had to get her body in a grave. But here they clean her and they take her up to this room. And I don't know why. I can only speculate. But there's a part of me that believes that they believe in miracles. And they believe that God could do things. And so they acted upon that. And so they get her cleaned up. They get in this upper room. And they send word over to Peter and say, we need your help. And so Peter comes. He, he shows up. And again, um, I, I love how um, in verse 39, as these guys come and they say, listen, we need your help. Verse 39, it says, Peter rose and went with them. He just went. I'm, I'm sure Peter had a busy, busy schedule. I'm sure he had things to do. He had probably had other commitments uh, to travel 10 miles for us today. We don't think much about. But again, going back to these days, most of these travels were laborsome. They would walk these 10 miles maybe a chariot and a horse, but it was, it was longer than a 10-minute car drive. But he gets up and he goes. And we see this flexibility. We see this, this care and concern in Peter for people. And so he goes, <clears throat> and he gets there, and he arrives, and he, they take him up to this upper room, and he sees these, these, these people who are mourning with the tunics and these other garments, and he tells them to get out of the room. Verse 39 and verse 40, we see that Peter goes and he begins to pray. <clears throat> and I love how the scripture tells us that it wasn't just a regular prayer, but, but he knelt and prayed. And again, I believe this signifies where Peter understood that he didn't have the power himself to heal. It wasn't underneath his authority. He wasn't the big shot here. It was God. That, that the power would come through Jesus. And so he kneels down and he begins to pray. And then we see this second miracle when Tabitha comes back to life. And then it ends, this particular section ends with what looks like a pretty insignificant statement. Verse 43. Let me read it one more time. It says, <clears throat> And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. I'm not sure if you're like me, but there's times when I'm reading through the scripture and sometimes you read, you read passages and you think like that's just kind of like an add-on, a tag-on to the end of the story. It just it feels somewhat insignificant. Okay, so he stays there and he, he stays at some dude's house named Simon, and he just happens to be a tanner. This is a pretty significant statement that's being made here. Okay, um, because tanners were not looked highly upon by the Jews. In fact, in their custom, okay, if, if 
um, in the betrothal period, so when a, a man and a woman are, are, are waiting to be married, if the fiancé finds out that her husband or soon-to-be husband was a tanner, she had all legal right to cut off the marriage. In fact, if they were even married, she could divorce him. The tanners were not allowed to live within the city. They had to live five cubits outside of town because of their occupation and dealing with these animals that were unclean. And if you just even think about this idea of, of back in these days and having to, to, to take care of these animals and these hives and the smell and all these things. But yet Peter, he stays here in Joppa and he chooses to stay with Simon. And we begin to see this breaking down. And if we go back in the life of Peter, we see that Peter was this very legalistic guy like most of the Jews were. And we begin to see the softening in his spirit where God was preparing him and changing him to go to people that he would not have gone to before, to associate with people he would not have associated with before, to see needs that he would not have seen before. So as we think of these, these miracles let me try and connect some dots to what we talked about this weekend. In our D-Now sessions, we, we had it titled called Fools. Now, most of us, if we've been called a fool before, it's not because of something good that we've done, right? Maybe if you have your Bibles and you want to, you can go back or go forward a couple pages to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 9 through 12 was kind of the backdrop to, to the study this weekend. And, and so 1 Corinthians happens to be this letter that Paul, Saul, who is in Tarsus, where we were reading here or had been talking about. Paul writes this letter to this Corinthian church. And in this, he makes this, this passage. So 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 12. And he says this, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. Verse 10, We are fools. So if you're about underline it, highlight it, circle it, whatever. We are fools for Christ's sake. We're fools for Christ. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are a disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly distressed and buffeted and homeless. And so when we think of this, this is, seems kind of weird because he's talking to this church and he's saying, listen, you guys are wise, but we're fools. And at first glance, I think no one wants to be called a fool. But what's so important about that statement is they're fools for Christ. You weren't the church. 2 Corinthians 5, 13. The, the, I'm using the NIV version right here. But he says this. If we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. What Paul is backing up what he says here. He's like, listen. If we're out of our mind, if the people on the outside looking at us, if we make sense, then there's a problem. If we look normal, there's a problem. 
We want to be considered such fools because we are passionately following this Jesus. We love him so much that we'll do anything for him. And we're not worried about luxury. We're not worried about all these other things. We are just so passionate about following Jesus. And so in our first session, we talked about this freedom that we can find. Really, it, well, it's, it leads us to this point where we all are forced with this decision. We read all of Romans chapter 6, but we focused heavily on the last verse, Romans 6, 23, which says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We talked about it. We had a very open discussion. We said, listen, guys, that we're all sinners, all of us. Like, what I love about the Bible, what I love about God's word, what I love about all this, the story of redemption is this. We are all even. We're on the same field. It doesn't matter what color skin we have. It doesn't matter how tall we are, how short we are, how good-looking we are. Or not good-looking. I don't know why you laugh. It doesn't matter. Like, we're all on the same field. It's even. And God says, listen, we have all messed up. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things that we shouldn't have done. And the result of it, the wages of that, the reward of that sin should be death. It should be death. It should be spending eternity in this place called hell, being separated from God. But one of the greatest one of the absolute greatest, most beautiful words in all of Scripture is but. But. But God made this plan for us. He provided this gift for us. And we talked about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he provided a way for us to spend eternity in heaven with him, but also have the riches of Jesus here on earth. So we talked about this decision that we're all faced with. And we have to make a choice that we either accept this gift or we reject it. And see, if we accept it, then it begins to launch us on this new path. And we, we alluded to this at the very beginning of this particular passage. In um, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, you can jot it here in, in your notes or in your Bible or whatever, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's a, a passage that's very familiar. Hopefully, we call it the Great Commission. Let me read it to you. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Underline that, highlight it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth, or the end of the age. So we, as the youth talked about this, that, that God, Jesus, as he's about to ascend into heaven, he has this last, like, heart-to-heart -heart chat, conversation 
And I was encouraging our youth to think about this. Some of us maybe have had that time in our lives where, where we're with somebody. We know it will be the last time with them. We know this will be the last conversation that we have. And if that's the case, whether it's a, a parent, a grandparent, a friend or whatever, they're sick. We know they're about to die. And we have that conversation. We absorb the whole thing, don't we? I mean, we listen. We're in the edge of our seat. Every word that we speak is special, isn't it? It's, there's no wasted language there, is there? And so Jesus knows he's about to leave. And he leaves them with words, not of a, a suggestion, not a, one of those things like, hey, guys, if you have time and you can work it into your schedule, why don't you take a few moments and tell somebody about me? He says, guys, here's, here's the commandment. Go. You go. Go. Go, 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 go. And that's what we saw Peter do. Peter was going here and there. He's going from one city to the next city. He says, go. One of the things I, I share with the youth, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, says this. And Jesus is speaking. He says, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. you love me. Talk is cheap. We see that all the time. I mean, I don't know if there's a clearer picture than right now in the, 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 uh, as we're entering into this election time. We hear so much talk, don't we? You watch a debate, you see commercials, you see all this. We see so much talk, and sometimes I think it desensitizes us because we listen to them say something and we know they won't do it. And Jesus is the same thing. He's like, guys, listen, if you love me, like if you genuinely love me, you will keep my commandments. Otherwise, it's just lip service. It ain't worth nothing. Our third session, we don't have the time to be able to read all of it. We were challenged to have open eyes and open hearts. And we read Matthew 25, verses 32 through 46. In that particular passage, and I would, I would encourage you to write that down and sometimes today read that passage. Matthew 25, 32 through 46. And this is what's happening. Jesus reminds us that we all come face to face with him one day. We will stand before him. And in this particular passage, he talks about how he, he separates the sheep from the goats. And, and what he's talking about is, listen, we have these people over here that they have followed. They, they are doing, they, they love me and they have kept the commandments. And these other people, they say it, it's lip service though. So he, he splits them up. And he lets those sheep into the kingdom, and the rest are turned away. And they begin to ask, why, why, why? And, and Jesus says, listen, when I was poor, you didn't feed me. And there's this whole list of all these things. When I was, when I was, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. And they said, well, we never saw you. And Jesus says, look, what you do to the least of them, you do to me. And one of the things I, I challenged our youth with this weekend is, listen, there, we live in a world that is full of needs, don't we? Like everywhere you, everywhere you look, there's needs. 
physical needs, emotional needs, relational needs, spiritual needs. There are needs everywhere. And God's called us to help meet those needs. But we have to, if we're going to help meet the need, we need to be close to the need, don't we? None of us are psychics, or at least I don't believe we are. Sometimes we, we say this thing where, where, Lord, please, I want to be used by you, so please, please let me. And then you just hope that someone just randomly knocks on your door or you receive a phone call. But I believe this. I believe as we looked at this passage today, we see Peter going. We see a movement of Peter. He's going, he's going, he's going. And because he's going, he's in places where he sees the needs. He sees the needs of Aeneas. He sees the needs of, of Tabitha. And the result of that is as he, as he helps with those needs, you see these communities transformed. And my heart for our youth, my heart for our church is that, that we are a church that is in the midst of needs, that we are looking for needs that we can help meet. Not in our power, but like Peter showed us, in Jesus' power. And we give Jesus all the credit. And the last thing that we looked at over the weekend was this idea of being part of a loving community. And we referenced a passage in Acts, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And I told our youth that the model that we see played out is this. As we come to that crossroad, as we, as we make that choice, that first choice, whether we're going to accept or reject Christ, if we choose to accept Christ, then the, immediately we need to find a loving community. We need to find a place that we can worship. We need to find a community that we can become a part of, not a country club, not some place where we necessarily all have the same likes, but we find a place that is going to rally around, focus on God's word. That we're going to, that, that, that we'll look and study God's word. That, that we'll create an atmosphere that we can have some fellowship, that we can have some fun, but we're going to study God's word. That we're going to create a way in which people can help keep us accountable. A place that we can grow closer to each other, but ultimately we will grow closer to God. Here's the deal, though, as we finish up. All that stuff that the youth heard this weekend, adults, we face those same choices. And I, I speak as a father. I speak as a dad who has had to say sorry to his kids on several occasions. I know that I'll never get it completely right. But, but parents, let me, as I tried to step on youth toes this weekend, let me try and step on some adult toes today. We can't ask our children to do that if we're not going to do it as well. We, we can't say, you go to youth group, you be part of this, and us not be involved and hope they get it right 
It doesn't work that way. Every once in a while you might get a kid that does it despite us. But we need to model. We need to model the same stuff we hope our children do. Folks, church is not just meant for children or youth. It's meant for the entire family. We all need to be part of it. To me, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's not if it's convenient, if it works into the schedule this week. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, is what Jesus said. It's not Chad speaking. It's what Jesus said. If you have a problem with it, take it up with him. I too often see that game played out where we, when it comes to the course of faith, it's almost like do as I say, not as I do. And in my observation, it creates a schizophrenic generation. And moms and dads, I believe this, I believe to a great extent, it's our fault. I, I told the youth this weekend, and we talked about the Great Commission. Studies tell us that 50% of Christians, so half, have never shared the gospel with somebody. It means half, half Christians have never shared the gospel. That's a scary statistic. Let me share one that's even scarier. I told our youth this, that studies tell us that their generation Our youth's generation, the, the, the generation that was at D now this weekend. That four, that less than 4% will follow Jesus. Less, less than 4%. change. We have to do something about that. And yes, we need our kids. We need the kids to go into their schools and tell their friends and tell their teachers. We need that. But moms and dads, we need to be encouraging our kids. And moms and dads, we can't expect our kids to share the gospel and us not share the gospel. We need to go share the gospel with their friends, parents, and our co-workers, and the neighbors that we live by. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Peter showed that he went and he did. And he was flexible. He was prayerful. And he was faithful. And the encouragement in those passages is when we see him being faithful and going, we see communities changing. And we need to see the same thing in our community. Let's pray. Lord, um, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for just a, a chance to celebrate our youth some this morning and see how you've worked in their lives. 
Lord, I'm thankful that we as a church provide those opportunities where, where, where youth can come and get away from the distractions of life and they can come and learn more about you, that they can come play games and have fun and they can hopefully leave with lifelong memories. I'm thankful, God, for the parents who entrusted us with their children this weekend. I'm thankful for the way they help support their kids, encourage their kids, and provide for their kids. I'm thankful for this entire faith family. Holy Spirit, I, I don't know how you may have worked today. But I trust that you are reaching who needs to be reached. God, I'm I'm, I'm asking and I'm begging that you will do whatever it takes to grab a hold of them. God, I believe there's some in this room today that, that they start at that first spot. Like they're facing that same first decision. They're either going to choose to accept you, accept your free gift of salvation. Or they're going to choose to reject it. So, so Holy Spirit, first I pray for those who are facing that crossroad right now. God, I pray that you marinate them. I pray that you reach them. That you cause decisions to be made. That you give them the strength and the courage to do what they need to do. And Lord, I pray for the rest that that have accepted you as their Savior. But they realize, as they look into your word and then reflect on their lives, they see that they're missing the mark. Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict them of what areas in their lives they need to change. For some, maybe it's, it's getting back to where they need to be. Maybe a rededication of life or whatever, but Holy Spirit, work. And God, I pray that today we don't leave here the same way we came, but you change us. That you let a fire in us. So Holy Spirit, do your work in your way for your glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Our goal at Redemption Hill is to see souls saved and lives changed. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision, or maybe you have a question or a comment, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad, C-H-A-D, at rh-church.com If you don't have a a regular church home, we would love for you to consider visiting us. You can go to our website, rh-church.com or find us on Facebook for directions. Until next time.